0: Today, it's a conversation with the traveling photographer, a return visit from my friend Dave Williams. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. I do want to remind you that with this show, and for that matter, every show that I do, you can find the show notes, a small gallery of photos of my guest, and all the links that we talk about during the show at BehindTheShot.tv. If you happen to be watching on YouTube, all you got to do is head right down below the like button, and I've got all the links down there, some of the information. There's a little blurb, however, that I write about my guest. That's only in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv. So uh, head on over there if you want to read all the detail type stuff. And that brings us up to our guest today. Again, I mentioned a return visit. This guy I call the traveling photographer. Other people just call him one of the nicest guys in the business. Dave Williams, how are you? Hello. Hey, Rez. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you again. This is This is your second time on the show, but our third time yeah. doing it. Because the yeah. first time we recorded a show, <laughs> we had internet issues. We did it a second time. Yeah. Our goal yeah. this time around is we're going to... This time we're going to nail it. Nail it. We're we're pros now. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Dave Williams is a photographer based out of London. And if you do not know Dave Williams, you will know him probably from a couple of different ways, right? If you think you've never heard of him right, before, yep. trust me, you actually probably have. Uh, he was on a show <laughs> here on on Behind the Shot before called The Aurora and the Night Sky. Go look yeah. that one up. And there are links in the uh, the video description on YouTube or in the blog post. But Dave is a photographer, an educator, a blogger, an author, a speaker, a YouTuber, all based out of London. Did I miss anything?
1: Uh, no, that's, <laughs> that covers everything. The, the, the YouTuber thing is new to me, though, uh, vlogging and YouTubing. I think I should have started it years ago, to be honest, but it's new to me and I'm enjoying it and it's not, I'm not really, really good at it, but I am oh, noticing dude. that yes I'm you getting are. better.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> you know what's interesting? There's a lot of room for improvement. Well, uh, I don't know about that, man. It's, it's funny because <laughs> when you started doing, we're going to talk about his series, Do North here in a second, but when you started doing Do North and I started mm-hmm. looking at the YouTube channel, it surprised me that it was new to you in my head. You've always been a YouTuber, I right? I I didn't realize you weren't big on YouTube. I know you, of course, through Photoshop World. You're a Photoshop World yeah. instructor. Uh, yeah. The first time we met, I was at Photoshop World standing in a hallway. This is a good story. Yeah. Standing in a hallway. I knew who Dave Williams was as a Kelby One Photoshop World instructor, but I'd never met him. No, other than, other there, than that, I was just an enigma. An enigma. <laughs> he's, there, he's walking down the hallway, him and Sean. Uh, yep. And you, you got to go look up Sean, too, by the way. I've got links, I think, to yeah. her. Sean uh,
1: Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, Sean Elizabeth. I'm trying Elizabeth to remember what her. Or Sean Elizabeth own. photo
0: on .com? Instagram. Yeah, just trust oh, me. Fantastic ho.uk. photographer. Does fantastic work. So they're walking down the hallway. I'm thinking they're random attendees at Photoshop. World. all, hey, would you guys mind talking? And he walks over and I see his badge. And I realize, oh, my God, that's Dave Williams. Dave <laughs> does travel Tuesdays on Scott Kelby's blog. He does articles for DIY photography.net. He is a Kelby one instructor, a Photoshop world dream team instructor, uh, an author. I mentioned, you know, he had been on the show for the Aurora show, the Aurora in the night sky. He has a book, the complete Aurora guide for travelers and photographers. So I'm kind of curious And again, we're going to get into what you're doing now, but you do so many different things in so many different areas, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're at your parents' house actually right now. What do you tell your parents you do for a living? (laughs) I take photos. Yeah,
1: my um, it's weird actually. So the reason I'm at my parents' house is because um, I've just done through four weeks in the van, and I've been living in the van. Living, it's very important to note that full time in the van for quite a while now, for a few months. And um I've just done four weeks in Scotland, which is the test for the proper June North, which uh will take me to as many Nordic countries as I can visit this winter, which I think is gonna be all of them. Um if you don't include Svalbard. <laughs> so so I'm gonna be going to Denmark, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, Sweden, Norway and Finland.
0: This all winter. by van. And
1: that yeah. Um, wow. all, of, all of the Scotland trip was the test to figure out what I'd done right and wrong in the van, whether there was anything that needed fixing or tightening up, uh, what my load was, because obviously um, weight and space is an issue. So I'm, I'm assessing all the things that are in there that I wasn't using and what I need to put in that I wanted while I was there. I was thinking, I need this, I need that, I need to make space for these things. So that was what that was all about. And then this week um, is tighten up week, which is, um, uh, just so that people know when they watch this, it's Halloween today. So I've got right. the, the coming week to figure everything out, tighten everything up, get it the way I need it and want it to be before I leave. So I'm at my parents' house because it's, it's interesting um, to me that
0: you, you know, you're sm- you're a smart guy. A lot of people would just go do this. Yeah. You were smart to do <laughs> this. Like I'll call it a beta run. Right. Yeah. Uh, To to Scotland, But I've got to tell you, I love watching all the pictures come through. And at the same time, I'm a tad bit heartbroken. May of 2020. (laughs) I I think I told you because I I called you or emailed you and said, I want to get together when I'm there. May of 2020, my wife and I were supposed to do, we were going to fly into Heathrow. We were going to head on up and we were going to do Scotland and Ireland. And I had all kinds of whiskey tastings lined up and the pandemic hit. And the trip went away and now I'm watching Dave drive around enjoying the countryside of Scotland. And so there's a little bit of love and there's a little bit of, of hate. Um, it's, you it's, are.
1: It's weird. Scotland is, um, Kaylee Gray was going to do a workshop in Scotland. Same thing. Scotland seems to come up in lots of people's stories of uh, the past 18 months or so of the things that haven't happened.
0: I'm still going to so do I'm, it. I'm hoping. Yeah, next I'm lucky year.
1: that I've done it. Oh yeah, definitely. You should. I, My granddad's favorite place was Scotland, and I never really visited it when I was a kid. And then a couple of years ago, I rode to the Isle of Skye on my motorbike and had the best time. I got soaked. It rained, and I got soaked through to the skin, but I loved it. Everything about the the scenery, the landscape, the people, just the way of life, everything was amazing. Scotland's awesome. You should definitely- And the Isle
0: of Skye is way up there. So- Uh, Yeah, it's- That's a drive.
1: It's- Two thirds up on the left, but it's more the fact that it's there's no like main road to get to it or to get through it, so it just takes a long, long time.
0: I, I've got a comment on your hat. You're wearing a Black Rapid hat, which is a company that you've dealt with and worked with before, as you have Drobo and uh, Lytra, and yep. we have a mutual uh, friend with Platapod and Plataball, Larry, yep. Doctor T. Yeah, uh, that's where yep. you and I first actually the the, the week that we met. We ended up that mm-hmm. same week. I go to a dinner we, for Platypod that yeah. Larry was throwing, and I look over and there's Dave Williams sitting at the table, which was really <laughs> interesting. Your yeah. I want to touch on on something that I find interesting about your work. So you're yeah. a travel photographer. I call you the traveling photographer now because of the van, but you're a travel photographer. You have been for a long time. Yeah. Your client list is literally the top of the heap. Not not geo. Yeah, it's cool. Forbes. Nat geo. Condé Nast, yep. Time. time. Yep. Yep. When when you reach your level, <laughs> when you have clients like that, is there somebody you haven't shot for that you wish you could?
1: I want to do a proper. My like my my main goal is to do a proper feature for National Geographic, not not just pictures here and there. That's the big one. Um, and I. I think that's pretty, that is, that's the ultimate goal. I I mean, I could have talked about, I could have built up to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's the goal is, is to do a proper feature. Um, I've just finished a feature for Photo magazine or Nikon's camera magazine in the UK. And it if I were to do something like that, but for National Geographic, rather than just supplying images of the things they need images of, that's, that's the goal.
0: I have to take a, I have to take a detour here because you just mentioned Nikon. And, or as we say in the States, usually Nikon Nikon. and you're <laughs> my second Nikon shooter in a row here. I just had before this, I'm recording this after, but, but this show is going to come out before yours with Michelle Hunter out of uh, Australia, music photographer, mm-hmm. uh, a Nikon, uh, mirrorless, uh, ambassador type. I forget the mm-hmm. actual title. Um, I'm curious, what, what body are you generally shooting nowadays?
1: Um, I have the D810 and the Z6, or the Z6. Z6, right. And um, (laughs) I I don't go top of the range. I just don't. It's not necessary for the things I'm shooting. And I'm still undecided on mirrorless, on Nikon's mirrorless. Because I know it's not the same. It's not the same for Canon. And I think it's not the same for Sony. And here's my issue. When I change the lens there is no curtain there is nothing protecting the sensor and so every time i change my lens and you've seen the places i go there's mud and dust and it's dirty every single time i change the the lens i get dust or dirt on the on the sensor so i have to clean it every single time i change the lens which is really really annoying because i change the lens all the time so um yeah, Nikon needs to deal with that if they haven't already. I, well, th- I, I haven't think, looked at whether the I haven't looked at whether the Z9 and relatives have, have
0: got it yet. I think the Z9 has something because the Z9 even did away with the, the mechanical shutter. I think it's got hmm. something to cover that. In fact, I just saw some stuff on Twitter with Joe McNally shooting motorcycle in the mud and he was covered in mud yeah. and the camera was covered in mud. I'm assuming yeah. they've done something but that that's an interesting point. Now you point. now
1: you said that I was talking to John Aldred one of the DIY photography authors the other day who mentioned something like that so you're probably right. Um uh, in the in the marketing for the Z9 it talks about having electric only but then it also talks about a curtain. So right. that must be what that's for. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting they didn't do that on other ones. Anyway, I had to go down that it's, rabbit hole it's because really
1: really silly decision.
0: Really well, with the different. Z9 coming out, the Z9 is a Canon shooter. Mm-hmm. And the key thing to me, now we're going into Don Komarechka's Photo Geek Weekly here, but the Z9, <laughs> you know, me being a Canon shooter and the R3 looking yeah. so cool, the Z9 yeah. is more like what an R1 will be. The Z9 to me is much has has a much richer feature set than the R3. Yeah. And it's $500 cheaper than the R3, not to mention where an R1 is going to be. So I, I like but- where, where Nikon is going with it, I yeah. just happen to be a canister. Anyway, uh, have you I mentioned, touched
1: an R three? Yeah, I haven't. They feel good. They feel good. The Wait, eye... you got to play with an R three? Yeah, I, I wrote about it for DIY photography and um, the first oh. hands-on in in the UK. The um, the I um, what's it called? Eye tracking, eye focusing. Yes, well,
0: Where... uh IAF control or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So so that was a feature long ago,
1: 10-plus uh, years ago, on one of their models, and it didn't catch a on. A non-digital and, model. Yeah. And now with-
0: I think. Non-digital? The, so
1: the thing, one of the things that annoys me about camera manufacturers that Sony broke the trend with is that it was like they teamed up, like Canon and Nikon and whoever else, all the others had an agreement where they would trickle things out. So one would release something a bit better, one would release something a bit better, one would release something a bit better, just to keep it all under control. And then Sony came along and went, nope, here's everything we've got in one camera. And that kind of screwed things up a bit. And so on that, on the emergence of new tech and the developments that are being made with cameras, with that eye, eye focus
0: Eye yeah, I, I, I can't remember the actual I'm name of it. Yeah, it's where you control but the focus point with your eye, where yep. you're looking at focuses. All, all of that stuff
1: is, is fantastic as a result of Sony saying, no, that's not how the game works. We need to to release tech and impress people and sell cameras. And that obviously that's affecting the league table of Canon, Nikon and Sony.
0: Again, it's always good to have competition, yeah. whatever your brand, exactly. I love that, that Nikon releases something that some may argue is better than an R3, because that, mm. you know, and cheaper, because that's gotta make a meeting happen at Canon where somebody says, uh, guys, did you see what Nikon mm. released? It's gotta happen. Mm. Yeah. And I think Definitely. that's good for everybody. So yeah. I mentioned Kelby One instructor, Photoshop World instructor, you've got classes, the yeah. blog posts, I forgot to mention, yeah. you're also on on the grid. But now yep. I want to get to the van life really quick. So okay. you decided not to just be a travel photographer, but to actually be a traveling living photographer living yep. in a van. I'm going to yep. try and pronounce it. Yeah,
1: no, I blew it, didn't I? <laughs> it wasn't too it. bad, actually. I've not heard that one before, but it yeah, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> a coffee Fernway. Say it again. Coffee Fernweh. It's two oh, words. okay? Coffee so, Fernway. I got you. Okay. For, yeah. So Fernweh is German and it's a Mercedes. And it's the German word for wanderlust, which is obviously the desire to travel. And Iceland is my favorite place in the world. And the first bit, coffee, K-O-F-I, is Icelandic for two things. It's Icelandic for coffee, but it's also Icelandic for cabin. So if you take the cabin and the Fernweh, it's the cabin with a desire to travel. So it's, it's my cabin.
0: So you came up with your own hyphenated yeah, kind made, of joint. Nerd. I made something up. <laughs> yeah, I like it. And, and you've got on your website, actually, you have an, an entire behind-the-scenes tour of yeah. this van with a solar panel and everything. People seriously yeah. go look at it, and, and it's idavewilliams.com. But it's coming up as Lower Thirds. Links are in the blog post or down below on YouTube. So that brings me to Dune North. You kind of mentioned what Do North is, but yeah. really quick, take us through the idea of Do North. Right. And, and I kind of want to go into, cause this is a personal project of yours. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go into that side of it too. What is it to you as somebody who's living kind of their dream right now, a lot of people's dream and they're living vicariously through you. Mm-hmm. How do you see the power of a personal project like Do North?
1: um overall and I've, and I've talked about this in episode two of June north overall personal projects are phenomenally powerful because whenever you need some encouragement you need a boost or if you feel like your photos aren't good enough personal projects can step in and give you a boost and give you the energy and the spark to get everything rolling again and um, for me it's uh, it's not so much that it's more about learning so as i say there's those three things where it can take over for learning you can be a photographer of anything you can let's say you're a landscape photographer and you want to do a personal project so you can better yourself you do something with animals or with portraits or with flowers you go somewhere else you go and find another type of photography or another genre of photography and you just play with it you just do a day or half a day or an hour of something so you go and do a project you you pick a skill within that genre and you really hone in on it and figure it out and it's got nothing to do with your genre of photography so it's got if if i'm figuring out flowers and i'm going low and i'm figuring out go shoot them from the side how do i light them if i shoot them from the top why is that good or bad all these things about flowers it's got nothing to do with landscapes but you can take elements of that back into your type of photography and into your style and into your skill set. So those things you learn about light or about apertures or about focal length that happen with flower photography can translate back into your genre of photography as a landscape photographer or any other kind of photographer to pick you up and give you education and also to drive you again. And you can use the things that you learned in wherever you're going it might steer you in a completely different direction. But another thing it might do is it might change who you are as a photographer in general. You might then become a flower photographer. It, It may happen. You never know. Probably not very likely, but it may happen. And that's how most photographers start, if you think about it. When someone decides that they want to get a camera and they want to learn photography and they want to pick up this hobby, they don't just suddenly start shooting the one thing they figure out what it is they like by doing loads and loads of little personal projects. They'll shoot their family, their house, their local area, their sport that they enjoy, or their hobby that they enjoy. They might go and shoot a train. And that's how they figure out what kind of a photographer they are because they're doing loads and loads of little personal projects through their, um, through their, it's almost a discovery process. Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, and first of all, you just mentioned a train
1: because it just goes everywhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. You just mentioned a train. So I'm going to start having you do all my segues for me because that was perfect. (laughs) Uh, But I agree when I I first started photography, and I think everybody's like this, I bought a macro Hmm. lens and I was shooting macro and Hmm. I was shooting portraits of people and I was shooting everything until I landed on, you know what? I just really love doing music photography. But there it is. As a music photographer that's been doing it as long as I have now, mm-hmm. I still study other people's work. I still am in, you know, in awe of many people's work, but I mm-hmm. learn just as much and sometimes more from looking at compositional styles of wedding photographers mm-hmm. and landscape photographers yeah. and the use of, which a lot of people in my genre don't do, but you can, the use of foreground, midground, background, depth of field yeah positional aspects, both high and low. Um, I totally agree with you there. You mentioned the train. So before we get into this shot, just to remind everybody, this show behind the shot is available wherever you get your podcasts, right? If you want Spotify, if you want Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, it's available as audio only if that's all the platform supports, or if the platform supports video, There is a video feed as well. When you search for Behind the Shot on those platforms like Apple Podcasts, you'll get two results, an audio and a video feed that you can subscribe to. Of course, it's also available, the video version on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, please make sure to head down Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. And of course, leave a comment on anything that you'd like. And one last thing I want to do is just say thanks to my friends over at DVE store for the HD video. You can visit DVE store for all your digital video equipment needs. And that brings us into today's shot, which Dave and I went back and forth picking a shot. And when I saw this one, and and it may be I recognized it because this shot has been in a lot of different stuff. Yeah. This shot is of the, and I'm going to again butcher the name. Is it Glenfinnan? Yes. Glenfinnan? Or Glenfinnan? It's
1: the Glenfinnan Viaduct. And the train is the Jacobite Express.
0: Okay. So if you Not recognize this.
1: The Hogwarts this, Express.
0: <laughs> the Hogwarts Express, exactly. If you recognize yeah. this, this was in four Harry Potter movies. I didn't realize it until I started researching for today. And then it clicked in my memory, this was also in the crown. So it's been used in a oh, lot of different places. I didn't know that. I wanna start with the technical side because there's a number of things about this shot I find fascinating. One of them is the, the kind of visual historicness of recognizing it from Harry Potter, right? Yeah. But let's start with the technical stuff. You photograph this with what body?
1: Uh, this was a Z6. Okay.
0: Exif data shows that you shoot manual, but you had center-weighted average for your metering. Do you use your meter or you shoot off a feel?
1: No, I I use the meter. Okay. Um, When I'm shooting a landscape, although this is a train, it's essentially a landscape. When I'm shooting a landscape, I'll use the meter and I'll go between half a stop and one stop under. Um, Can't remember, but I think this was about half a stop under. And the reason for that is because there were so many highlights in that steam.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Now you're shooting raw, I assume. Yes. White balance was set to auto, and the exposure yep. info was interesting. So you must be closer than I feel. This is at 70 millimeters according to the exif data.
1: Yeah, it's not far. So where where the viaduct comes round, that closest point is uh three hundred foot or so away, hundred meters or so away. Oh, that's that, that, far that away. closest point but then the actual viaduct itself is huge so it, the the lens has sort of squished it in a little bit but the so, the viaduct is really far so when the train so you, basically when you get there and you're sitting waiting for this train which in the winter comes once a day uh, twice a day in the summer it's way off in the distance there's you can see the valley so there's a lock over to the side to the right of the image which is that way on your camera (laughs) there's um there's a lock over here and then way off in the background that's where the train comes from you can see the steam coming um as it comes through the valley and you're getting yourself ready and getting yourself all hyped up because you're you've made an effort to get to this spot to shoot this train so it's like a, a big sort of climatic experience or when it arrives and um yeah. So what what's actually happened there with the lens is is it squashed what's actually quite a long thing. So it's shot at 70 mil, um, and uh, that doesn't answer your question at all. <laughs>
0: no, actually it does because you were you were at 70 millimeters, ISO 100, one to fiftieth of a second, and yeah. I found this interesting. I always look at EXIF data to see what I can learn about how a, a person you're, shoots.
1: You're gonna Go ahead. say. It's f3.3 and you found that. Yes.
0: How did you know I was going to say that?
1: (laughs) I shot wide open because I wanted, I knew that at 70 mil on that lens with what's going on there, it wasn't really going to knock anything out. Like as if you're shooting a a portrait at that aperture because of the distance. Um, And I wanted to softly let it go but I wanted to keep as much in focus as possible. And it was a tough balance to achieve. So going somewhere close to wide open was going to achieve that. And when you shoot mirrorless, that's the kind of strange numbers that they give you nowadays. So I ended up at 3.3 thinking, well, that is achieving. Looking at the back of the camera, that was achieving what I wanted to. So the trees up on the, the hill on the other side, you can see that they're sharp enough, but they're not in focus. That, that's achieved what I wanted it to. So yeah, 3.3. 3, so when I number.
0: saw the 3.3, 3, it's so funny that you predicted that. It's killing me. When I saw the 3.3, I'm 3, I i I'm embarrassed to say I had to go, what the hell is 3.3? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, so I, it's I went and I looked situation. at my camera. And in, yeah. on my camera, I can set my stops as thirds or yep. halves. I, I am so used to setting my camera at third stops, both for ISO and, and aperture, that I didn't realize that 3.3 is a half stop from 2.8 to 4. So if your camera is set for half you stops. You wouldn't
1: realize that, though. Unless unless you got a calculator out, you wouldn't realize that.
0: No. <laughs> uh, it, it literally, I had never seen 3.3. I love that. The other thing that was interesting to me was the lens description in EXIF. And for those of you on right. audio, I always describe the shot for the audio viewers. I will do that in just a second, but I want to get through the technical stuff. The EXIF data showed that this was a Tamron 70-200, 2.8 lens. Yeah, yeah but, the G1. But the designation the <laughs> of this lens is interesting. It's a Tamron SPAF 70-200, to F2.8, DI, LD, IF, macro, A001N. yeah. 8, yeah. Does it have a macro attachment to it or
1: something? <laughs> um, no, that it, 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 that is what that lens is. Really? So it, it's got what translates to vibration reduction and, um, what else? Um, it, it, it's got, all it's probably stuff, like yeah. the
0: USM where you can, you can manually focus yeah. even when you're in AF, yeah. uh, you know, constant manual focus, that type of thing, plus yeah. plus, like yeah. you say, it's it's vibration yeah. or, or IS image stabilization. Yeah,
1: and to do be you honest, like it? Yeah, I love it. I want a new one because it's old, but it works.
0: <laughs> well, that's all that matters, I guess. So, <laughs> for the for the audio people, let me describe this. It's a scene again, right out of Harry Potter. Okay, I mean, there's so much to love about this scene. Literally, four of the Harry Potter films. It was in the Crown. What was interesting to me is how old this thing is. Started in 1897 and opened in 1901. The The photo he posted on Instagram is square, but, but he gave me the full crop for this. And here's what I dig about this. The compositionally, this is so strong, right? The viaduct itself, it's a landscape, like Dave said. And it's a landscape where you're shooting over a valley, valley that the viaduct raises up from with these large arched, concrete it is concrete this is not you know bricks or stone and then a hill rises out the top of the frame in the background the viaduct itself enters the frame on the left hand side just below the rule of third the top rule of third it swirls in it's a it's a perfect curve right so it enters just below the top rule of third it exits the frame on the right just below the bottom rule of third and in between the entry and the exit, it curves over to the left vertical rule of third. And the train is halfway on the incoming track and halfway on the outgoing track so that the engine itself is on the right rule of third. And then this is to me, one of the strongest things. And he had you, you arguably had very little control on it, except for your vertical framing, where you chose to frame up and down you put the smoke in such a way in the frame where it leaves that bottom right rule of third and goes up towards the corner, the left corner of the frame. Compositionally, this is wonderfully done. You got enough underneath it that I can see the arches. I can see the brush. I can see through almost some of the arches and I can see the light on the arches on the left, which is gorgeous. What time of day was this, by the way?
1: Uh, 10 49 AM on the dot
0: 10 49. Okay.
1: Yeah. The train, the train leaves the Fort Williams station and then goes towards, I can't remember the next station and it gets to the viaduct at 10 49.
0: So the train is an old fashioned passenger train, steam yeah. engine. The, it's not yeah. smoke. I don't think, right. It's steam coming out.
1: Yeah, that's steam. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's the Jacobite Express. And do you know what the Jacobites are? I do not. So the Jacobites are kind of famous in Scottish history in that when all the clan stuff and, you know, the Braveheart stuff, all of that um, versus the British monarchy who were running Scotland went on and on and on. And then in the 1700s, in 1715, the uh, Jacobites rebelled and they tried to overthrow the British rule of Scotland and um, there were, there were loads of fortresses and castles built because of this to defend people's property and land. And so they were called the Jacobites. And this is the Jacobite express off the back of that. And this obviously was much later. The, the, that was 1715. And the train is from 1880, 1890 thereabouts. So that's just the origin of the name of the Jacobites.
0: And again, it's this, it, it literally is out of a movie. Like the train that you see here is what you picture in an old movie and the bridge itself, the viaduct itself is again, I looked up the history on this. It's not like stones. It's poured concrete Mm -hmm. uh, as I recall without reinforcement of any kind. Mm -hmm. And the concrete bridge is, is weathered tons of detail there's yeah, a when you're su- up close uh, you know, to it
1: it's crazy you can see all the colors of everything that's gone on over 100 and something years.
0: Exactly the, the side p- of it is gorgeous. Yeah. So, the texture is crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's a better term, not detailed texture. There's And again, the depth of field choice here is yep. brilliant because the fall off of the train itself is very subtle. And mm. yet it's there. So the, yeah. the the track is all visible, but it just subtly falls off, really smooth and everything. And one of the things that intrigued me about this shot was you mentioned something to me in an email. You said this was a tick off the list for me. Yeah. Explain that to me. What what is so, to you what's it ticking off your list? Why this? There are lots of shots that I take that
1: I have. I don't know. The thing that's here is no interest. It's not no interest, but that's the phrase I'm coming up with. Things that... So the link to the images, I have no interest in. So I'm not interested in Harry Potter. Just like I shoot loads of Game of Thrones locations in Iceland and Croatia. I have no interest in Game of Thrones. But the, the, the location becomes iconic. And you could argue many directions on this about whether it's made iconic by the movie whether that benefits the local economy the local people if that helps or, or doesn't help in any way at all such as this the, the reason people go to glenfinnan is to shoot this bridge there's nothing else really there there's there's a wonky tower the leaning tower of glenfinnan there's a there's a there's a wonky tower by the uh, the log and that's it the bridge and that and so for me going and taking this photo was something I wanted to do, but not because of the reason everybody else does. The fact that the Harry Potter, I mean, there were people there in Harry Potter scarves and hats and, you know, go Gryffindor and all that stuff. No interest in that whatsoever. Hold on, hold on. I got to stop you.
0: <laughs> this is such a tourist area that people come dressed in Harry Potter yeah. Potter outfits? Yeah. So
1: there were, so that I was, I said that was once a day that train goes through in the winter. So I'm in mean, the off season. There's not a lot going on there. There must've been about hundred people. Wow. So you walk. There's a little parking lot that the local community have made so that they can recoup some of the money that people spend in the area, which isn't a lot. So they they charge people. I think it's five pound to park. You walk from there under the viaduct, and then up the hill, and then back to the position that I'm in there. And so there's this footpath, and it goes a lot further. Um, there's a footpath with a couple of tiers that you can stand and watch the train go by. And even the train drivers are aware that this is a a sort of tourist spectacle and, you know, people are there to see it because as it does come round the viaduct, as it appears, you see the steam and then it slows right down to enter the viaduct, gives some toots of its whistle so that everyone's attention is on it. And as it gets to the halfway point or the, the edge of the viaduct as you're looking in the picture... He, I don't know what, I don't know how steam, I know how steam engines work in theory, but I don't know how they do that, but they make all the steam come out. So there's not oh. a lot of steam. And then suddenly it's like they hit the accelerator and all this, they go, and all the steam comes up billowing out like it is there in that picture. It is entirely a tourist spectacle. So it was a tick off the list in that
0: respect. Okay, but, I just have to argue that regardless of how many people were here, yeah. your choices yeah. of so exposure, gonna... <laughs> depth of field, the, the detail, yeah. the texture, and the composition yeah. here are what make this yeah. shot work. So yeah. you're and then
1: cutting cutting out the footpath and the fences and there we go. Any so there's telegraph cables or you know, pylons, there's there's stuff there and I've cut it all out by the position I just decided to stand in and the composition okay, of the see, picture.
0: This, and my friend, is, is why I wanted this that, shot.
1: That's made that timeless because that a is 130-odd-year-old train. And that photo, although we've got EXIF data that says I took it on a Nikon Z6, that could have been taken at any point since 1890 because nothing that's modern has been added to that composition or you know that image at all in any way
0: so i know that you work with uh scott kelby because the last time scott scott's been on a couple of times i need to get him on again the last time scott was on it was a photo that he took in portugal and it was the same thing and he used the same term and because i asked something about the composition and he said i will always point my camera to find something that's timeless because if i see anything modern and there was some stuff he had like There was a trolley in the street and he removed the trolley lines, which then the trolley theoretically wouldn't function, but nobody notices it. It made it timeless. I am. So, so let's expound on this. That's one of
1: the, so as well as the composition, that's one of the things that gets you lost in a photo. You look at the bright thing, you look at the composition, there's all, you know, all this stuff that we know about photos and photography, but then. If there's, if there's something that makes you think without realizing that you're thinking, like a timeless element such as that, then you're studying the image and enjoying the image without realizing why you're enjoying the image. Timelessness has a lot to do with that, as well as the psychology of not being able to pinpoint when this photo was taken. It was taken two weeks ago. But you don't know that.
0: No, you don't I do know now, that. I've told you. <laughs> but But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Timeless is great. But unlike, you know, somebody like Scott who might travel on a vacation somewhere, he's not a travel for photographer per se. He travels mm-hmm. somewhere and, and arranges things. You living in a van and driving around, you may end up at a spot. Or let's take this. Let's take this example. What if this train passed by here at one thirty in the afternoon on a hot, sunny day and that's when you were there? As a travel mm-hmm. photographer, sometimes as you're driving, you're going to say, I'm going to pull over here and get a photo and then I I, I need to hit the road lighting is not always going to be perfect at the moment that you are able to get to a location. How important yeah. to you as a travel photographer is scheduling the being there at the right time of the day, or for that matter, the right weather.
1: Very. And that's why I live in a van as well <laughs> as being the, cra- <laughs> as well as being the crazy guy that lives in a van and taking that off my personal list. Um, Being a travel photographer doesn't necessarily mean you have to travel. Travel photography is not like any other genre. Because a travel photo can be a landscape, or it can be people, or it can be food, it can be anything. It's the result of the photo rather than the subject that makes it a travel photo. So if I take a photo that makes you want to be there at that location, at that place, smelling those things and seeing those things... That is what a travel photo is. It's something that makes someone want to buy that vacation or that hotel or whatever. That's a travel photo. And therefore, you don't need to travel to take a travel photo. You can take a walk down the road, quarter of a mile, and take a handful of travel photos because as long as you're achieving that result of making the viewer of those photos want to be there, that's travel photography. So what I'm doing... Is is still travel photography because my aim is not to take photos of locations, it's it's to make people want to be at those locations or to be in that photo essentially. As a photographer, it's to make you want to be in the photo. As a person who sells photos, it's to make you wanna buy the thing that you know, it, right. if that's in a travel brochure, that's where you want to end up. To achieve that, I need to have great light and the weather to be the way I want it and things like that. And that doesn't always happen. And where I was booking a hotel or an Airbnb and a rental car and a flight and limiting myself to, I don't know, a week in a certain location and ticking loads of things off the agenda for that location, I wasn't coming back with the best results because the weather or the lighting might not be on my side. Or, you know, if that imagine that train didn't come that day. Things like that. There are loads of things against me. Where I'm in a van, I've got complete control or way more control than I did having a rental car and a flight and whatever else it is. I can get way more images of the right quality to be a travel photo. So I don't need to buy I I don't need to have a rental car that cost me four hundred dollars for a week and a hotel that cost me four hundred dollars for a week and a flight that cost me four hundred dollars, making it twelve hundred. And then using that rental car to go 150 miles from the hotel one day and 120 the other direction the next day. I just get in the van, park near there, set the alarm for 10 minutes before I need to, (laughs) roll out and take the photo, and then get on with my day. It's completely changed everything for me in travel photography because it's made it that much easier, and it's removed the difficulties that I had before and the expenses that I had before. So yeah, that's part of the reason why. You're and, you're painting
0: um, this picture of just a wonderful dream life. You're you're on yeah. the road. <laughs> you've got a solar panel on the van for power. Yeah. You've yeah. got the the inside of this van is decked out like a house. I mean, it's amazing what you've got inside. You're sitting in there, you take a shot like this. You're sitting in there and you're still doing your editing. Obviously, you're working on I'm guessing a laptop. Yeah. Software-wise, what is your choice these days?
1: Um Adobe, well, I'm, I'm now officially an Adobe influencer.
0: And oh, so it's all. congratulations.
1: <laughs> all I have to do is just answer all of your questions correctly. It's, it's a sweet deal. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, um, Adobe um, Lightroom and Photoshop. Okay. And uh, to, to be honest, I wouldn't really use anything else anyway, whether I was an Adobe influencer or not, because the power of these things, particularly with the update that came out the other day, uh, the power of these programs is amazing.
0: The, the new subject but, but selection backtrack- finally in Lightroom is pretty amazing. Yeah. If I backtrack just for a second, if you
1: do watch episode two of Dune off, you'll see me getting ready for this shot in the car park, looking out the window, checking out how many other people have arrived while cooking myself a bacon sandwich. So that's, that's the difference between hotels and van life.
0: <laughs> so we should mention, by the way, if you want to see Dune North, it's at I Dave Williams on YouTube. It's it. He, post each episode on his on his uh, yeah. youtube channel. What would you have done to this shot? Obviously, cropping-wise you said you were careful to crop out paths and modern stuff. Anything else you would have done to this other than basic adjustments? Uh
1: no, this one was fairly basic. Luckily, the light was awesome. So it was fairly basic. I had to bring down the highlights in that steam. Um and I think I used a I used an adjustment brush on the steam with a tiny tiny bit of dehaze and I'll be honest, there's not many occasions where you need to use dehaze. And making the steam look like that was a bit of a dehaze adjustment brush.
0: You know what's funny? Um, dehaze in music photography for just that reason. When there is a fogger on the stage, yeah. a dehaze can do wonderful things to take what is a um, solid piece of fog yeah. or smoke machine and, type stuff and give it some and Almost give you a more billowy effect where you can see through parts of it. And it gives cool. it gives a three D effect. There's your little editing tip. Okay, so yeah, let's yeah. do let's do the speed so next
1: round. Time you take a photo of a steam train,
0: yeah. Now eight. I know what to do. <laughs> if, if only I had a yeah. steam train, I could just go photograph. But if I go but to no, Scotland, no, no, no. I need to go do this. I may call you to find directions to get to this place,
1: no uh, or I'll meet
0: you there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. speed round. Answer these as fast as you can with whatever answer that you want. Right. Hardest part about being a travel photographer? Selling the photos. (laughs) Okay. So the business side of it. Well, that's probably it with all photography, I would think.
1: The reason for that is because as photographers, we aren't business people, are we? Let's be honest. We are creative photography people. And so when we take the right brain stuff, like the accounting and the marketing and the selling the photos and all that, it screws us up and it, it actually takes a lot more of our time than the creative side does. And so, although it may not be difficult to sell photos, it is hard to, tell, to, to sell photos because it's hard on us as creative people.
0: Okay. What's the Was biggest mistake? <laughs> what's the biggest mistake you almost made or did make? Um, It's all
1: to do with being silly and forgetting memory cards and batteries. The amount of times, not anymore, but back in the day, I used to turn up somewhere and just I wasn't prepared enough and I didn't have a memory card or I didn't have a battery in my camera. And it was things like hiking up a mountain or, you know, going and seeing deer at sunrise and things like that.
0: Being an idiot. Okay, so I I have to piggyback that one because I just did. I said earlier, you and I are both friends with the, the founder of Platypod. And I had the uh, pre-release, pre-production models of the balls, And I had tried them all. I had the Elite with me, which has a battery so that you can use the level. And I had tested it here and everything was great, but I didn't want to wear the battery down because I had to give it to somebody else at some point. So I'm like, I'll take the battery out. When I get up on the mountain, I'll put the battery back in or right before I go. So I'm all ready to go do a field shoot and test with this thing to really kind of try and break it is actually what I was trying to do. And I put the battery in and I get up the hill and I go to turn the level on and it won't turn on. And I'm looking at my wife going, oh my God, I drained the battery. I must have left it on. (laughs) Well, I had done this like five times. I put the battery in backwards, but because in my head, (laughs) I completely knew Steve knows how to put a battery in. Come on. There's no way the battery's in wrong. I hiked all the way back down the mountain got home, realized I had put the battery in wrong and had to go back a different day because Steve's an idiot. Wow. So you say you don't That's do it anymore. One. I'm just going to say, don't That's say never. <laughs> uh, next question. Favorite composition rule? Um, That one. Oh, Fibonacci spiral. Yep. <laughs> you have a tattoo of the Fibonacci spiral? Yeah, yeah otherwise known as the, the golden spiral or that <laughs> yeah. relates to the golden I've triangle
1: an, i've got an aperture up i've got an aperture up here I've got, i like that. Uh, a okay compass to keep me going the right way yeah there's a
0: few <laughs> so favorite drink coffee mocha okay bucket list band that you wish you could see in concert foo fighters And I had a ticket
1: to go and see them. And Dave Grohl broke his leg. So I didn't even go when I
0: had a ticket because they canceled. I will tell you, I had not been a huge Foo fan. And Mm. then I photographed them the first time in Southern California. Hear something called Cal Jam, which was their show. And immediately went, oh, I get it now. And I've now photographed them a few times. And they are absolutely amazing live. What was the first concert you ever went to?
1: The Lost Prophets. All right. So. Touchy subjects because everyone goes, oh, yeah, that guy.
0: <laughs> here's the last question Is there a photographer out there that you're a fan of and people may know, may not know about, but that you think more people should follow?
1: Kirsten Lutz. Why? He. Did you see? Did you see the um, banner image for my first um, June North of me? I'm you know, sure
0: I did because I I went and watched went to, it, but so I don't black, remember it. Black
1: background, it. me in a red jacket with the hood up, with the fur and ice and stuff. So I I just I went to him with this. He he does this project. It's called Three Heads in a Row. Um, it's Three Heads in a Row on Instagram, and um, it, it's three caricature type photos of you with three props and he shot me with um a map a coffee and a camera and I said to him while I'm here because you're a decent photographer can you do a picture of me looking cold for my June North stuff and he did it and what I gave him as a brief was just blown up 10 times with what I actually had as the result it's an amazing photo and he he's an amazingly gifted person he's a musician and a photographer and very skilled and very knowledgeable. And I think he deserves more credit than he gets.
0: Okay. So I First will have a link.
1: A-E-R-S-T-E-N Lutz. L u t
0: All right. I will, if I can't find it, <laughs> usually I can. But if I can't find it, I'm going to hit you up to get the link, but I will have a link sure. in the show notes, both on YouTube and in the blog post so that everybody can find it. And if people want to find Dave Williams, what's your website?
1: idavewilliams.com
0: okay that's easy and then social media wise YouTube wise tell tell people everywhere that they can find you
1: you can find me on Facebook Twitter Instagram as at idavewilliams and if you go to YouTube slash C slash idavewilliams that's my channel it's currently got the June North series on it and there is very soon going to be a midweek educational video as well oh. which is currently currently top secret though so don't tell anyone
0: okay well it may be, when? <laughs> when is it coming out
1: 10th uh, I think 10th of November
0: I think perfect as long as this is going to air ready, this will probably it. go live around the 18th so well, this will be just after that so not, it should be live by the, the time 10th, people see this it will be the 17th all right perfect perfect so Dave Williams thank you so much for doing this man I really appreciate it and everybody you got to go you. follow him
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for and having And by me. the
0: way, I do have a link in the show notes for the do North playlist. Cause on his YouTube channel, all the do North episodes separate from everything else are in their own playlist for do North. So I have a link to that playlist in the show notes over at behindtheShot.tv. Of course, if you want to reach out to me, it's at Steve Brazzle on Instagram. It's at Steve Brazzle on Twitter. It's at behind the shot TV on Instagram or Twitter if you wanna hit me or the podcast up on social media. Of course, the website for me is stevebrazel.com and it is behindtheshot.tv for show notes on all the shows, all the links for every way that you can possibly subscribe to the show are there as well. For this episode, for example, I've got a small bit that I wrote about Dave. I've got five or six of his images so you can kind of get an idea of what he shoots. And then all the links that we talked about, those are up there too. If you are on YouTube, please head on down, Leave a comment down there below the like button. Hit the like button on your way if you like what you're seeing. And uh, I try and answer as many as I can. Thank you so much for everybody watching. Really appreciate your time. Make sure that you join us next time as we take a look inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots.